0: welcome back welcome back everyone great to have you all here and a massive welcome to any new listeners that we've got um this podcast is with neil philbrook neil is the global head of merchant services and ceo for uk and ireland for bank brokers he's also one of the three owners of the group worldwide uh, and he's also got 37 years worth of banking experience so He is someone that I really wanted to talk around a couple of topics, one of them being agnostic providers, how important it is to constantly review pricing for your payment process, how important it is to consider technology stacks, equally understanding that having a panel of acquirers um, and being able to plug into or get your gateway into multiple acquirers to form some form of redundancy package for when acquirers change their appetite they change your pricing they change your settlement terms whatever it might be you're able to then adapt and change at speed which is always great and we always want that considering the current climate and equally covid did drive this kind of thinking but it was always going to be that case anyway in the future um so let's get into this one good awesome stuff look um thanks for joining me neil um i'm mindful i've got a good half an hour with you, uh, and I want to produce some some nice, uh, some good content for our listeners and equally our audience here uh, at Acquired.com. So just for the context of our audience and equally me, um, could you go into a little bit about yourself um, and equally what you do, what your role is, and who are bank brokers? That will be a good place to start.
1: Yeah, no problem. Uh, good morning, George. Lovely to see you. Uh, my name is Neil Philbrook. And uh, I run uh, a company called uh, Bank Brokers UK and Ireland, which is a banking and merchant services consultancy firm. Uh, I'm also one of the three uh, owners of the group. It's uh, actually a Scandinavian group called Bank Brokers. And I'm global head of merchant services worldwide as well.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Tell me what, what does a day look like for you? I'm, I'm assuming we've literally just had a, had a quick conversation off, off camera and off, off microphone, but you know, what does a day look like for you? I think you seem to be pretty busy at the moment.
1: Yeah, well, we're looking uh, at expansion across uh, Asia Pacific. So the day at the moment tends to start with, uh, usually my first call of the morning is 7. AM with, uh, typically with a client or a bank over in, uh, in Australia, usually. Uh, and then obviously you've got a very, very full day with the UK, Ireland and continental Europe. And then I tend to end the day um, with our offices over in, in North America. We've got offices over in Boston, a lot of clients in North America. So That tends to be my evening. So the days at the moment, George, I have to say, are, are pretty long. Um, but I'm used to that. I pretty much work around the globe all over my career. And therefore, I'm used to, you know, picking up the different hours of the different continents and, and just being there when I need to be and then power down, you know, late at night and then off again the next day. And if you love what you do, George then it just doesn't feel like work,
0: right? Exactly. That's the saying, isn't it? I think I'll butcher it, but they say, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Well, <laughs> perfect play. Oh, and, and George, awesome. should I give you a little bit of background? Because uh, I've done
1: some dive straight into Bank Brokers. Do you want to hear a little bit about you know my background? I don't know if you listen, listening would be interested, but uh, I thought it would be worth just giving you a sort of summary of my career. Um, just so, you know, the listeners know, Absolutely. okay. So uh, I started my career uh, in financial services back in 86, George. So I worked you out this morning, a quick bit of math, 37 years now, hence why there's a few gray hairs in the older uh, beard. Um, so yeah, 37 years ago.
0: Hey, before- yeah. You say you say thirty seven years, and you say you got grey hairs. Look, I've only been in payments and in financial services for seven years, and I've got no hair. So, you I know, you, you you look you look great for your age, Neil. You look great for your age. That's am very proud you say that, George. But look, I started out. See, so I was going to be
1: either an astronaut or a fireman, uh, and then I ended up in in you know insurance, as it started then, way back when. Um, uh, which so many people do. But uh yeah, started my my career uh in an insurance company in Bristol, uh, and then later moved into um into banking. And the majority of my career has been in, in banking, George, and specifically working for one of the world's largest banks, all around the world, did a number of postings uh here in the UK, on the continent of Europe, and across um Asia Pacific. Uh my last role was looking after uh, high net worth banking for for this bank. Uh, globally based out of hong kong and as i mentioned earlier i kind of got used to sort of um being there almost 24 hours a day to be with each of the different regions around the world it's a kind of it's a crazy thing to get used to but you know it's set me up nicely for the current role running merchant services globally for
0: bank brokers awesome that's a i think we've got some great knowledge that i want to tap into um, and but first of all, to give the listener again a bit more context around Bank Brokers, just yes. what was the reason for the, the the founding of Bank Brokers? What why was what what was the vision at the time? And and kind of talk me through that story. Sure. So um,
1: after you know twenty seven years in financial services, um, I was contacted when I was still at um, HSBC at the time by uh, the chairman of this Nordic. Company called bank brokers. I'd not heard of them previously, but when I started to research them, they were huge across the Nordics. They'd already worked with a thousand of the largest companies uh, across Scandinavia and the rest of the Nordics, and it's a region that I hadn't uh, worked in. In my uh, previous role, I'd worked in pretty much every part of the world, but I hadn't worked in the Nordics. So, you know, I was intrigued to hear that the pitch of the chairman, and he basically said to me, George, he said, "You want to use your skills for for good rather than evil." In other words, try and help the merchants to reduce their costs rather than trying to maximize the profits for the bank. And it it didn't take me, you know, longer than about sort of 10 seconds to go, I kind of I like that concept. So how do you guys do it? And, and then he explained to me, he said, look, we've got benchmarking data from all the different banks, particularly strong in, in Northern Europe and the Nordics. We'd love to expand uh, globally, starting off with Britain and then you know build out from there and we hold masses of benchmarking data. So if you were a large um, uh, organization and you're trying to work out, you know, my charges, my bank charges, my merchant processing fees, am I paying a fair amount? You know, there's no such thing as a kind of compare-the-market.com for enterprise clients. The only way an enterprise client, George, can really work out if what they're paying is fair and reasonable is to do a massive, extensive, time-consuming RFP. So in other words, go to market with a tender, and get a load of bids in. And then, you know, guess what? You spend six months, nine months, maybe a year doing that. And you got all these prices coming in. You're trying to compare apples with oranges and pears with bananas. You know, and you've got these 60 page documents on average from each of the different banks. You're trying to go, what, you know, still, I'm, I'm still befuddled as to what is the right solution, yeah? Um, so what bank brokers does is they take all that really complex data, masses of, um, you know, different offers. And we just distill it to say, Based on your needs, dear customer, here's what you said you wanted. Here's what's the best available in the market. Here's a way to de-risk it. Here's a way to optimize your conversion rates, reduce declinages, You know, make chargebacks or fraud a thing of the past. Here's what we can do to to, to help you. Independent on the side of the client, agnostic to, to to the solution. And that was kind of that was the pitch the chairman gave me back in what is now 2013, George. So I'm 10 years in looking after this, uh, this operation, specifically CEO of the UK and Ireland, uh, but with global responsibility for merchant services in, in all markets. And I mentioned to you uh, earlier, George, that we've recently launched in North America and the business has just taken off over there. Pretty much every customer that we're speaking to, and these are enterprise uh, organizations across North America, um, pretty much every single one is saying, yeah, I, you know, please help me. I, I don't have the visibility. I don't have the benchmark." I don't know what good looks like, so do please help us. Uh, and that's where we come in. That's where we specialise.
0: Yeah, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there with uh, you know the element of a consultative approach with someone or an entity that is completely on the side of the merchant and isn't trying to sell a acquiring bank or a payment gateway. I think that the word consultant or cons yeah that word gets thrown around a lot i think in the payments industry and i'm not sure how much of a consultant you can be when you're trying to sell one payment gateway and one acquiring bank and one acquiring set of charges you can't exactly be a consultant however there seems to be lots of payment consultants out there um so i mean from your perspective why is it important to work with someone like bank brokers that is completely agnostic and can literally benchmark anyone they want.
1: Yeah, well, look, how do you know what is best in class if you only speak to one, two, three, four, five different banks? How do you know what's the best in the world? You're limited to the set of banks. So really what we offer is this agnostic independent service where we benchmark what you have today and we make recommendations. And George, from my experience, particularly since COVID, having one provider deliver all of your services, so all of your eggs in one basket is just not sensible. I've seen, particularly like said during COVID, so many of the big banks that exited clients who were in hospitality, travel, airline, even retail, because they sensed the risk was too great and they just wanted to exit. We had one of the, the largest banks in the world, George, that contacted us to say, we're exiting this whole sector of travel, okay? The whole sector, we're exiting. So um, uh, bank brokers, do you mind if you, you offer a kind of soft landing? So when we say to the client, hey, I know we've been with you for 20, 30 years, but we're now going to give you a 90-day notice, 60-day notice or somewhere, even 30 days notice to, to, to get lost, um, you know, talk to bank brokers. Now, I was kind of proud to be approached and we agreed to offer that service. But what I was horrified about is the power that the banks, particularly if you've only got one single bank, can hold over companies. And I've seen many companies that we've been trying to, to nurture and help, and look after, who went out of business as a result of the banks, either pulling up the drawbridge entirely, or for example, George asking for 100% cash collateral. In other words, <laughs> all the money that the company was taking, the merchant was taking, was held back by the bank to provide 100% coverage. I mean, it just felt to me like the, the, the market needed to change. and And the way I believe it needs to change is to have this kind of and panel approach. So do not have all of your acquiring terminals, gateway solutions with one provider access the whole world. That's what you really want to do because then the power is with the merchant. Yes, if the merchant can come through uh, a PSP, a gateway, a payment orchestration layer that accesses multiple providers, then it de-risks it for the merchant. And then, hey, presser, right? If if one bank says to them, hey, we're going to delay settlement. Okay, which which often happens, yeah, particularly in difficult times. So we're going to delay settlement by 20 days. You can say, well, that's absolutely fine. Um, In which case, we're going to, you know, reduce the volume of transactions you receive down to 1%. And the 99% of volume will now go through better banks who are actually supporting us with T plus 1, T plus 2. And then if another bank says, right, okay, now we're going to exit the relationship. You know, you're not sweating and rushing and panicking like some of the companies were during COVID. You say, that's no problem. Uh, we'll just um, pick up one of the other banks on the panel. So for me, and it, it's not just COVID, but COVID really accelerated this thinking that it's much better for a merchant to, to de-risk their business and to optimize their, their payments by having multi-layered solutions, like a panel, not just one provider.
0: Yeah and I think on that topic like as you, as you are aware Neil from from what we are acquired as a as an agnostic payment gateway plugging into multiple acquiring banks we can you know one of our one of our USPs really is the fact that we can well, not USPs to us but what we like to talk to our merchants about is that exact point you've just made which is let's make your business you know let, have a redundancy back you know let's make sure that you because we deal with some high risk sectors, you know, we don't just deal in retail, we don't just deal in lending and financial services. So giving merchants the safety net of two to three to four acquirers that are willing to process their payments, de almost yeah, de-risk the book from the merchant's perspective so that they get some, you know, shut eye at night, but also from an acquiring bank's perspective, you know, split the risk of what the merchant's dealing with. Yes. You know, I, I, you haven't got to then have these major rolling reserves and these huge cash deposits
1: you know yeah the merchant has, has the power and that's the real, really the way it should be uh, in the future george and i think if you if you're one of these um uh, merchants that's gone you know down the route of having one single provider i've seen cases george where that one single provider has dramatically increased their pricing or as we discussed earlier has changed their collateral terms or their settlement periods and the merchant's going, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold. okay, right, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch. And then they start to look at, actually, this operation, this bank is so integrated into everything we do, this is going to take me a couple of years, this is going to suck in so much IT, oh, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm stuck. I really just need to accept this pricing increase for this security, this, this cash collateral, or all this deferred settlement. To me, that's not the right answer. The right answer is the power to be with the merchant. That's what we try to to achieve
0: for that once. Correct. Correct. Um, so we've talked a little bit around kind of the 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 tender process and what bank brokers do in regards to price. But I had a question for you and you know, tell me what you what your thoughts are on this. But how important is the technology side of things when these, you know, huge corporations and enterprises go, do you know what? Let's go out and do this years worth of tender process you know how important is the tech stack when it comes to that process rather than it just being a benchmarking process on price
1: yeah there's absolutely no point having um you know amazing pricing if it's the i don't know the e-commerce channel goes down you know every 24 hours at least once i mean just it's crazy you can't you can't have that so you've got to have really fair pricing you've got to have really good tech this combination of two. i mean that that's that's the optimum
0: awesome um so from from your experience what has what has changed in the time over the last however long it's been since you've been part of bank brokers what what has changed in the industry what has been a key point where you've thought you know what something's coming here or do you know what do you remember when that happened that really changed this part of the of what we do at bank brokers what are there any key points that you can bring to life
1: yeah, well, if you go back, I don't know, 10, 15 years. So we started in 2008 in Sweden. That's where the group originally kicked off. And some of the payment types that are really popular now, I mean, buy, buy, now pay later, BMPL, which is all the rage, um, you know, didn't exist. Yeah. Um, some of the big providers now that are considered to be, you know, um, uh, forefront of tech and offering alternative uh, payment methods, uh, PayPal, for example, just didn't exist. Yeah. So when you go back to the beginning, there was a smaller number of payment providers. There was a smaller number of schemes. You know, Visa, Mastercard, for example, were, were absolutely predominant. Um, and maybe you've got Amex there as well. But now there is much more choice schemes, much more choice in providers, many more APMs. And here is the, the thing. If you're a merchant now, how on earth do you keep up with all of the, the changes I mean, if you look at, I'll take BMPL because it's the flavor of the month. We're right? going to, to, you know, online and look at BMPL providers, there's hundreds. Yeah. And then if you're a merchant operating in multiple countries, how do you select which BMPLs you want to offer? Do you want to offer them all? You know, can you imagine a checkout where there's like a hundred different solutions for clients? Of course you don't. So how do you know which mm-hmm. ones are the best in each market where where you offer your services? You know, knowing that type of um, information about all the different payment providers, all the different options, what best in class looks like in any given region, that, that's absolutely what we're here for. To take all that pain and the hassle away from the, you know, the head of treasury, the head of finance, the head of econ, head of procurement, and just deliver it for them and say, here's, here's all the options, here's what we recommend, here's a way to de-risk it, here's a way to make sure the pricing's sensible, here's the way to, to reduce your, your potential fraud exposure, you know, here's the opportunities. Maybe DCC is something you've you've considered in the past or or not considered. Here's the strengths. Here's the weaknesses to give them that kind of on your side perspective. Yeah, on the side of the merchant trying to work their way through the maze of payments. Well, I would say that's the probably single biggest. The fact there's been so many different payment providers and schemes and
0: gateways and acquirers and you know popping up all over the world. I think we we see this and I, I see this in my conversations around. I don't believe until you get to a point um with a merchant where like they do fall into that enterprise slash strategic bracket there is a lack of and you know not down to the merchants fault they shouldn't understand payments to a degree but there is our I think there's a massive education piece around Scheme fees, interchange fees, around technology, around what we actually do as payment providers, and the, and the the lack of understanding at merchants, even to a mid corporate level where they don't have internal payments expertise, is yeah. essentially where bank brokers and equally sometimes acquired do come into it. You know, we are a we're an external resource that these businesses use and lean on when it comes to these challenging times when they don't understand certain things. PSD two, for example, when that was inter- when that was introduced, I had multiple conversations, and people didn't know what SEA was, let alone what PSD two was. So it was, it was, you know, that was a, that was a point in which I realised, you know, what there's a big education piece here around our industry. That, not sure
1: if you feel the same. No, no, I think that's absolutely true. Um, although I would, I would just put a bit of balance on that because there are some uh, clients, and, and not even just the most sophisticated large enterprise global clients. Even some of the, the smaller local one market merchants, maybe even 40, 50 million turnover, something like that, they actually may have somebody that that does have some great payments knowledge. So, you know, they're out there and there are some great, great people um, within merchants that can really do some good stuff. But even the most experienced uh, payments individual, maybe they did, you know, 20 years with a big payment provider. And, but, but that's kind of one payment provider. Maybe they've moved two or three times in their career and they've got experience at two or three what we have is we work now with uh, over 3000 merchants globally, George, some of the biggest companies in the world in pretty much every market. We've seen every type of bank, every merchant services provider, every type of scheme. So we've got this kind of really deep holistic perspective so we can help the clients to to make the informed decisions. And I think no one person can hold that knowledge. Yeah. It's it's just impossible. Let's say you're an expert in the UK, George, does that make you uh, an expert in Asia Pacific and payments? Uh, it just it just doesn't happen that somebody has that global perspective. So that's the gap in the market that I think we we fill, and we fill it very nicely. Um, and I would just say one thing: the fastest growing, biggest, most successful companies that we work with, working several of the FTSE one hundreds, several of the biggest companies in the US at the moment. Some of these companies they're growing so quickly, particularly in the kind of you know um, uh, sort of fintech or innovative space and they've come up with this model, maybe an e-commerce business absolutely flying, they might still be on the vanilla rates that, you know, a corner shop would be offered by that particular bank. The bank does not rush to say, hey, do you know that you can de-risk your business by having multiple providers? Or do you know that you can, you know, increase your conversion rates by doing X, Y, Z? Or do you, you know, do you know that there's much, much better tariffs out there? Uh, and it just it surprises me when we come across those clients we we did one just this morning right just just one example this morning Um uh, we, we found a 53 uh cost save from one of the largest banks in the world i won't name them on a, a large company and uh, you know literally the treasurer and cfo they go what the heck 53 percent cost save now we're going to negotiate that in this afternoon we're going to deliver it and that's a recurring saving that they had no idea was available but of course, their the big bank doesn't rush to, to, you know, say we can cut our margin and <laughs> make your life better. So, but we can.
0: So, do you think that although the banks aren't rushing to do that because why would they, right? They're the ones they're the ones charging those processing fees. Yeah. Do you think merchants sometimes don't review this process enough? Is that sometimes why do they think? Oh well, if it's almost that mindset of you know if it's not broke, don't fix it. Do you think that's a little bit of a mindset out there that we could maybe change? Yeah, it could
1: be that, but I would say uh, a lot of the the FDS, treasurers, head of econ, head of payments, head of procurement, they would actually say they're really, really diligent, and they look at this every year. And may, maybe they have, maybe they've sat down with their bank and said, any opportunities to reduce our costs? Um, no, okay, flat thanks. And you know, report back to the board. We had a conversation, we had an arm wrestle, and uh, and amazing, amazingly, sometimes they'll say, yeah, we can drop it by two percent. But if you're being charged 53 percent, too much. And then a two or 3%, you know, a conciliatory sort of gesture is, is meaningless, but they might feel they've done a cracking job and they they've tried and it's not criticism of them, but unless you've done this for 15 years, unless you've got 3000 projects and some of these projects, they might cover 170 markets and a hundred plus providers. So when I say 3000 projects, it's kind of 3000 times, you know, the data points that we've got are incredible, George. It means we can jump to the answer without the, the time waste of a, of a major RFI, RFP or tender.
0: So what what do you think merchants are looking for ne- Like as of now? What do you think is the key thing that they're looking for? Are they looking for a payment provider or someone that's willing to grow with them? Are they looking for, some, for someone that's willing to future-proof their business for them and be that consultant layer? Or are, are merchants sometimes just looking still for a cost saving? Yeah, I definitely think it's more than a cost save. I
1: think again, I'm coming back to, to the COVID experience, where companies teetered on the verge of bankruptcy liquidation, and because the banks basically either pulling their funding or you know deferred settlement or you know put massive capital collateral requirements in front of them or you know threatened to exit them. You know those companies, and I'm talking about travel, aviation, um, hospitality. You know th- those type of companies. They would say the most important thing is to de-risk our organization so we're never ever put in that situation again i would say that's probably the, the most important thing and i think they would place survival and reducing cash collateral um, ahead of price that's that's why we that, that's certainly what we see day in day out um, but even some of the sectors that you know you would thought aren't particularly risky in the past you know retail i saw a lot of retailers that were really hit hard and whereas in the past, the massive retailers would just be flexing their muscle of volume and demanding better pricing. I think now they're kind of meme, I think we need to be kind of omni-channel. I think we need to have multiple providers. I think we need to consider payment orchestration rather than just a kind of standard gateway. I think all options are being considered, whereas in the past it might've been just, just price. And maybe, maybe that's a good thing that's come out of the sort of COVID crisis. For companies to have a much broader perspective on the whole that 360 degree around payments
0: and mindful of time so we are coming towards the end but what um what advice have you got for i don't know let's say we are let's say we are addressing directly the SME market at the moment you know that that brand that e-commerce brand that has blown up throughout COVID, they spent loads of money on marketing they you know they've absolutely had a journey throughout COVID that's absolutely blown them out of the water but they haven't reviewed that payment process you know what advice have you got for that head of e-commerce head of payments cfo in that role and they're sitting there today thinking where do i even start this process
1: yeah well there's a couple of things i'd say is i'd say first of all force yourself to consider the worst case scenario so Imagine today that you get a letter saying you've got 30 days, and this was commonplace during COVID, 30 days in which to find yourself a new bank. We are exiting you in 30 days. Ask yourself a question, would that be um, a bit of a you know, kerfuffle for your organisation? And I suspect it would be more than a kerfuffle. I think they'd be saying, well, that would just be catastrophic. So, so first of all, force yourself to think about what that impact would be. And then secondly, okay, now that you've worked out that the risk you know, is is massive, to your organization, what would be a way to mitigate that risk? So again, I wouldn't start with the price. I would just be thinking about the whole ability to take payments, and um, and then once you, you you decide that you need to do something, rather than go to see one provider and just make a decision to do something with one provider, you need to consider the whole market. The only real way to do that, apart from like I said at the time, consuming, costly RFP that might not even give you the right answer, you need some independent consultancy. Now, you might say, well, Neil, you would say that because that's what you guys do. I don't mind if it's not us. I genuinely believe you need to, to talk to somebody who's an expert in this area and get some independent advice, get somebody that's agnostic rather than just speak to one provider that will obviously try to force their solution down your throat, yeah? I mean, don't do that. And then once you've taken the independent perspective on the whole market, then, then make sure you ask all of the questions. So think about all aspects of risk. Think about pricing, Uh, think about opportunities. You know, are you converting a checkout the highest possible, you know, percentage? Can can you reduce the number of declines? You know, how are you operating cross border? Is there overcharging that? Consider everything. And then once you've got a, a strategic view of payments, your ecosystem now, and what it could be, then go on the journey at your speed, your pace, to de-risk it, to reduce your cost, to increase conversion, increase revenue, and do it at, at a time when you're not being forced out the door and you're desperate. That's what I would suggest every company should be doing.
0: Awesome, I think that's a really, really key piece of advice. Um Look, Neil, I really, really appreciate you joining me. Where can people get hold of you? How do you like people messaging you? I know you're pretty hot on LinkedIn these days. So if that's a place, please, you know, how can people get hold of you if they do want to have a conversation
1: yeah and they can email us directly at contact at bankbrokers.co.uk that's the obvious one so contact at bankbrokers.co.uk they can go on our website www.bankbrokers.co.uk they can look us up on linkedin bank brokers uk and ireland and then they can just you know click contact And uh, we'll reach out to them. So we'll get back to anybody that reaches out to us within 24 hours. And I know sometimes it's even more desperate than that, particularly if you've just received a terrible letter from the bank, you know, don't be afraid to just pester us and we'll we'll get back to you within the hour. If if it's, you know, um, normal time zones for us, which is UK hours, continental European hours, North American hours, and like I said, increasingly Asian hours as well. (laughs)
0: <laughs> awesome, Neil. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it's my pleasure, George. Love you to speak to you. <laughs>